Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on this week's episode, we're talking API product management. What is API product management and how is it different to other types of product management? Do you need a computer science degree to even get started? Why are startups just so much better than working for big companies? What can mountain climbing teach us about resilience and how can we take that into our day-to-day lives? For answers to all these questions and more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest this evening is Alina Sokolovska, product manager at Flux, product tank organizer, mountain climber, crumpet connoisseur, product guru with a honey badger as a spirit animal. Hi, Alina. How are you doing tonight? Hi, Jason. Um, I'm doing great. It's been a pretty productive day. How about yourself? Uh, It's always a productive day in product, Alina. You know that. We, (laughs) we, we We never have wasted days. Indeed. So first things first, who are Flux and uh, what problem do they solve? Yeah, so Flux is there to save the world from paper receipts. And that is ultimately why the company was started. So what we do is we completely eliminate the need for paper receipts. So instead of picking up a paper receipt, you can just see it right away in your banking app. And we work with banks like Monzo and Starling. It's pretty seamless. You know, you don't have to ask for any customer data, emails, phone numbers, nothing at the till. It just works. Okay, so your primary use case is things like expenses and stuff and, and, and kind of yeah, business expenses, or is there like a consumer play as well? Yeah, expensing is one part of it. Obviously, for banks, it's a winner because they get, you know, another feature within their banking app. They get more engagement within their customers and, of course, deliver delightful customer experience. And then for retailers, they get to understand much more about their customers, how do they shop and what exactly their behavior looks like. Uh, right. So the behavioral stuff, obviously, then presumably interested for things like marketing and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And what do you do for Flux? I know that you're a product manager, but what do you do specifically for Flux? And, and what does the product team look like there? Yeah. So basically, I've been at Flux for just about a year. I was one of the first product people to be hired. And so I look after more the integration side of things. So I look after our retailer API and our bank API. So that has come with its own challenges that we can, I guess, talk a little bit about more. And then we have another product person, another guy who's covering basically more things like offers and loyalty, so other types of products. But it's just two of us, so we kind of work around work around the clock. As you said, every day is productive. <laughs> Never a wasted moment. So was that your background before? Was it very sort of technical and API uh, driven or have you kind of gone through various different types of role in your product journey? Yeah, no, actually, when I started in product, I never thought I would kind of get into more technical side of things. Prior to this, I've always worked on consumer facing products. And I thought I I would always enjoy working on consumer facing products just because you get direct contact with customers. And it's easy, you know, it's easily understandable, easily explainable, and there is no kind of like technical complexities. For somebody who doesn't come from particularly techie or engineering background, I think it's uh, it can be a bit of a leap. But I've surprised myself and actually quite enjoy being in, more, in a more technical role where, you know, our, our predominantly our audience is developers. So, again, I think it's quite important for product managers to move through their career and try different things. because. You might think you might not enjoy it, but in fact, you try it and it might become your, your new best thing. 
And did you have to do any kind of boot camp training or anything like that to try and get onto a, a level with regards to some of this stuff? Or did you kind of just pick it up as you went along? Yeah, I just picked it up as I went along. I mean, I still can't code. I did like some VBA in like high school times with Excel and that kind of thing. So I guess I, under- I have a basic understanding of how code works. I think it was more learning from developers and spending more time with them and like listening to technical talk, if you'd like. At first, it just seems like beyond basic kind of technical terminology, you seem a little bit lost and it's like, oh, none of this makes sense. And then you get into starting to like look at APIs, read API docs, start to read about developers, read read, read blogs and kind of, you know, emerge yourself within this completely new environment and new 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 type of customer that you have to work with. And I think it also helps because, I mean, obviously you're, with technical products, your target audience is developers. So you're already surrounded by developers and you can already instantly learn a lot. Right, yeah. So I guess also from a almost like a cross-functional perspective, a lot of the pain points that the that your customers have are going to be pain points that maybe your your internal team would be able to kind of advise on as well. Yeah, it's always a quick way to do some like rounds of testing. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, just speak to your own developers and, you know, you might already uncover the most obvious things. No, that's, I mean, that sounds really interesting. And, and obviously, uh, it's a different type of product management. And I know that one of the things that you were keen to talk about was what we we're calling transferability of kind of PM skills. So yeah. the, the difference between, say, B2B and B2C or B2B2C, and also things like different industries. So going from sort of fintech to martech or vice versa, I think you mentioned. I think one of the interesting things for me is I've seen in my time a bunch of different sort of job postings and, and sort of job spams and stuff that go up. And there seem to be some job postings that have really, really kind of really deep, specific requirements for deep industry knowledge. For me, that always feels a bit off. Like you shouldn't need to be an expert in, in a domain to go and do something because for me, product management is the is the, 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 the gold star qualification to be a, in product management and you can learn the other stuff. But have you found that that's your experience that you can kind of just transfer your kind of product management experience between industries or, or do you feel that, it, that that's a real challenge? I think you're right in saying that a lot of people even these days think that it's needed to have pretty extensive background and experience in the specific industry to be an, an amazing product manager. I completely disagree because I think sometimes you might get stuck in your ways if you're just looking for people with the same background, the same experience, and you might miss on innovation and new opportunities, new ideas that might sometimes live outside of your box that you're usually kind of like might be stuck in. So one of my previous companies where I worked at, they kind of made a very conscious effort to actually look for people that come outside of industries that are not fintech. So we had a bunch of like variations starting from, you know, rocket scientists who are in data science going to somebody who had like a degree from arts. And when you had, when you have such diverse range of views and opinions and, and everything else, I find that actually it might help your product development process. It might, it might actually help you to come up with better products and better ideas. Yeah. There's always an argument that if you just want lots of people like you, then, then you're just going to get the same results from everyone and you might as well not not bother yeah exactly and like with regards to transferring the skills between different industries and like kind of like different types of consumer i suppose i mean there's always differences that you're going to have to work with for example b2b and b2c they are two completely different beasts 
I think in a way I would think that B2B to B2C is kind of easier because B2B is challenge because you don't have an easy access to your consumers at all. You know, like it's such a long time to get any sort of feedback and it's always difficult to get to your, to your customers and everything else. Whereas B2C is just instant access, but it's much more quantitative focused and incremental improvements. So there's like major differences between the both. So I think as long as, I mean, product people are always inquisitive and curious. So if you know you want to make the move, then do the research and make sure you understand the core differences. But I think it, it really is an easy transition. And I would encourage anybody who is looking to move to a different industry or move into a different type of product they want to work with, just do it because, you know, you will learn as you would with any kind of other job. And also looking at specific type of industries that you might change. Again, just make make your job to do your daily reading news, reading Twitter, reading LinkedIn blogs and everything else, familiarize yourself with kind of like the new environment that you're in, the new terminology and everything else that needs to be picked up. So really, it's just a learning process and nothing else. Yeah, so I mean, I'm in B2B. And I think one of the most interesting things for me, and maybe one of the differences that you you were talking about between sort of B2B and B2C, I I kind of read some of these articles sometimes where they're saying like, oh, yeah, let's do an AB test. We have 10,000 users here. And 10,000 users there is like we don't have 10,000 users in this application so it's like and and also my experience and I don't know if it's the same as yours it's business users really don't want stuff to change very much when they're using a a tool for their day-to-day business and I'm assuming for API stuff that's also very true because whenever you try an AB test on an API you're going to break the API they're going to break their integration right so that 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 feels like a one of those things, one of those little nuances, and there are obviously many more nuances. And like you say, you don't have the same access to users necessarily. The people that are paying for the product aren't the same people that are using it. And uh, it just seems like a whole different beast. And I've actually seen some people say that sort of B2B and B2C themselves are, are very different and that it's difficult to transfer from one to the other, but that within those, that you should be able to transfer quite seamlessly. So for example, if you're, I don't know, B2B fintech, you should be able to move to B2B MarTech or something like that. And, and if you're in uh, B2C Health Tech, maybe you can move quite easily to, to B2C EdTech or something like that because you're, you've got the same usage type patterns and you've got the same types of users, like the general public versus business people. So I don't know if that's true or not, but it's certainly a, an argument that I've seen. I don't know if that's something that you've seen. I would say actually yes, because when I think of it, Previously, when I have been in B2B and I wanted to get into B2C, often you would have the same kind of argument where you don't have a lot of experience, you don't know how to run A-B tests, B2B is a completely different type of customer, so you're not suited for the B2C role. But then if you know knowledge, if you have knowledge and understanding how to deal with businesses or your customers, you probably are it's probably much easier to transfer them across to a different industry. Yeah. Actually, yeah, because when I was into B2B, I moved from marketing into B2B fintech. So I guess that's some sort of validation. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned before uh, before this call that you like to talk about all things integrations. And obviously, uh, some of that's become clear now because of the type of stuff that you're working on. So is that something that you're really into? Or, or, or do, you, do you have kind of interest in, in, in other types of, of product management that, that you're trying to pursue kind of? Uh, alongside that within your current role? 
Yeah, I mean, integrations have just kind of become my life right now. <laughs> it has become my, my main interest. I think it has been an interesting journey for my team. And I, that's why I'm so passionate about it, because we have gone through so much pain, starting from being kind of like more on the disorganized side, not really having a good process in place for integrations, kind of spending all of our time on manually integrating partners and without really having time to focus on actually building a product on top of it. So within the past of like nine months, we, we have gone all the way to a place where it literally takes any retailer a few minutes to, to test an integration with us. And it requires very minimal effort from our side. So I think having such great impact on the company and also achieving so much in nine months kind of has made me proud and very proud about our achievements. And I think that's why it's important also to share the knowledge and go to podcasts and talks and write blogs and things because, I mean, everything these days works around integrations and APIs. Every second company is API-based. So surely <laughs> there are more people like us trying out there trying to figure out what's the best way to do integrations. How do you streamline the process? How do you make sure you can build a product that allows self-onboarding? How do you scale and like all these different challenges that you need to consider? So I kind of have gone through the pain. And right now I'm just trying to spread the knowledge to make sure that more people like us kind of, you know, maybe can sidestep the pain and move right into the kind of like the right direction. And what are, what are some of the ways that you've uh, you've done that? I mean, obviously, you were talking about sort of podcasts like this one, and, and I know that you've done some some talks and product tank that we'll talk about in a minute. But are there any common places that you go to 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 try and spread that, or or any kind of kind of groups that you that you kind of active within? Mm-hmm. So I have a Twitter account which I've been recently trying to be more involved with. Also, we're writing like series of blogs at Flux. So basically, most recently, I wrote a blog exactly about that. So our previous nine months of integration experience and how we kind of turn it around quite effectively. And then obviously, just having conversations like yourself and going to other talks whenever I get a chance. But nothing, nothing in specific. I mean, again, it's, it, it is quite challenging even to find groups and places for API versus like slash integration people where, where they hang out. Because even when I was trying to like learn more about APIs as products and product management there, it was very difficult to find any kind of like widely available resources or even books. I think I found two books on Amazon about API management, which is kind of insane thinking about, you know, like most industries these days are based on APIs, but there isn't really widely available resources that tell you how to become better at it yeah it's interesting it's it's almost like all of the publicly available literature out there is all on all the medium posts and all the books and all of the youtube videos and 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 all of the chats and everything they're all about just building the next b2c product i mean not all but very a very large number of them and i was looking around a little bit at kind of uh, sort of data as a service and api management and stuff just as a kind of you know general interest and uh, and and yeah it very much feels like it's an underserved part of product uh, and it feels like something that, that should change i think the the alternative view would be that api people aren't allowed to get out very much and that's why you can't see them so actually i guess uh, <laughs> so do you prefer working uh, on kind of new products and and sort of greenfield or 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 are you more into kind of building on top of sort of other stuff that's already established because I know that that was another thing that we called out before this call. 
Yeah. So actually, when I got into product, I was working on a very mature product that already had been alive for a good few years. And there it kind of started with just tidy up, you know, like going through the product, like simplifying a lot, removing a lot of features and just like making sure it's all in sync and aligned. So that was quite an interesting experience where, you know, I really enjoyed the decluttering and kind of like making sense of it and making sure that, you know, you you instantly get really good user feedback where you make their life easier because they're suffering from using your product. So it kind of started there. And from then on, I've just kind of always ended up in startups. I think I really enjoy the startup culture. Working on brand new products has, to be honest, always been quite accidental. But past three companies, I've always worked on like brand new teams and like discovery of brand new product areas and brand new products. I think I really enjoy it where you basically have nothing. You have a white piece of paper and you have to start from scratch. I think with also that with that comes kind of like high level of uncertainty and always being outside of your comfort zone. I think that's where I'm really most comfortable with. I think that's why I always end up with startups that are working on their first products because you need the certain type of person who's always comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think that's probably the best way to say it. And in a way, I would want to move on to products where you where they're already in kind of like a more mature phase beyond product market fit. But at the same time, I'm kind of I'm I'm scared to lose this sense of being uncomfortable all the time. Because it feels like you, at that point, you are already at a more stable place where your product has customers, you already know they love it, and you just need to keep growing it and maybe like expand to more features and things. So in a way, it's much less excitement and more certainty. So I don't know, maybe that's what I need to do next in my career, just to validate it's not true. But so far, I'm just kinda, <laughs> so far, I'm just kind of stuck with this very highly uncomfortable zone, which I really enjoy, actually. <laughs> but but does that mean then that when you get to the comfortable zone like when you're so you you start in a startup you get the initial sketches sort of worked out and you work out what you're going to build you you get it to a point you get your mvp you get you know validation it sounds almost like then at some point you're like right that's it i'm done with this company i'm gonna move <laughs> to the next one now now i'm hoping that no one from flux is listening to this but that, that that's the kind of implication and maybe if flux are listening to this you could that you could set their mind at rest I feel different with Flux, and I'm just not saying that because somebody from Flux might be listening. (laughs) But in a way, I think beyond just like phase of product, it also comes down to the type of company, the type of people that you're working with. And of course, as product people, we do have sense of ownership. So it is usually not that you're letting go of your product because you feel too certain or your product is too mature. It's most often because of other reasons. So as a product manager, I feel like I want to take my product all the way, like if possible, all the way to the sunset, right? But often there are other factors that come into play, which change your, change your position and make you want to look for a new job. So I think as long as the rest of the things that I just mentioned are like totally cool within the company, I think you always stay. Have you ever worked for a big company? Yeah. So I, 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 it was my first grad job, actually. I worked for a news publisher and I was basically a business analyst for for their online advertising team. And I think since then, I haven't really felt the desire to go back to big companies purely because things do tend to move slower. 
it takes a few more layers of approvals to get things done and so on and so forth. I'm more kind of impatient. I want to get it done right now. It needs to happen. You know, it needs to move. So I think for me, definitely startup culture is more suited right now. But but you're in fintech, yeah. right? So that strikes me as something that, that is not without its regulations. And yes. regulations obviously have the potential to, to slow things down. Are you overly regulated where you are or, or are you lucky enough to be kind of to the side of, of, of any of that? So we are FCA regulated, so we do have to comply with GDPR and other regulations and also have to make sure that we consider compliance, data ethics and everything else, because obviously your customer trust and your reputation is everything. So regulatory side side of things is really important to us. I think maybe where fintechs are slightly different to more mature organizations is in our approach to compliance. Because in a way, we try to be privacy by design. So we have very good, easy, I wouldn't say easy, but we have very well integrated compliance and risk processes within our product development process that don't really slow you down. I think the best way to say how your relationship with, with your compliance team should work is they really should help you to innovate safely. And I think that's where sometimes with bigger and like slower organizations, it can be seen as a hurdle. I think probably when compared to like, you know, high street bank, obviously we don't have that strict regulations as they do uh, because they probably have different kind of qualifications and different kind of standards to adhere to. But I guess what I'm saying is I don't see compliance as hindrance and see compliance as help to help me to talk, to basically think through any potential risks that might occur and like mitigate them early on. And I see it actually as a very helpful part of the process. Yeah, I guess the the typical feeling is that when you get into a regulated industry that, that it's going to slow you down. But I guess from what you're saying is that that's not really the case. No, that's not the case. I mean, if, it's, if your compliance and legal teams are reasonable and it's like the good culture is there, where it actually they help you not not try to slow you down and that kind of relationship is in place. Or if you step into a company and that kind of relationship isn't in place, then I guess you need to do your best to, you know, try to change the culture and make sure that actually, <laughs> I know you're giggling at that, change the culture. But I mean, change needs to start somewhere. Yeah, or, or, or you just leave the company, right? But that's, um, that's the alternative. Yeah, yeah. You can fight <laughs> for it or you can leave, up to you. So mountain climbing. <laughs> yeah. So I personally don't have the back muscles for that. I've always been really bad at doing pull-ups. But when we're talking mountain climbing, which I know you said is a is a hobby of yours. Yeah. I mean, so is that bouldering? Is that climbing actual Alps or somewhere in between? What what sort of mountain climbing are you, are you up to? Yeah, it, it, it's a mix of things. I kind of got into it like I think it was two, three years ago. And I kind of started with just hiking, walking. I'd never really been a fan of nature. So it started like in a very kind of very <laughs> gentle way just around the UK, and then quickly realized really liked the scenery. Then I kind of like moved to, to go and hike a lot in the Alps. I've been to Himalayas. And I think the goal always is to go higher. Um, I was meant to do my first Alpine peak this year, actually, uh, with proper climbing, but obviously because of Corona, um, not on the cards anymore. And then also doing bouldering, top rope climbing, uh, tried ice climbing too. So just like a little bit of everything. Wow. And I guess if we were to take that back to, to product, what lessons have you learned putting yourself through some of this stuff and some of the kind of heavy training you've had to do and some of the kind of preparation that you've had to do? What, what lessons has that taught you from a, 
kind of product management perspective that you could take into your day job? Yeah, I think it kind of directly links to what we previously spoke about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> if, <laughs> if that's what you're lacking at, I would definitely recommend climbing as, as means to train it. Because I guarantee you, most of the time you're going to be uncomfortable. I'm actually afraid of heights. So, <laughs> so going up to like four or 5,000 meters and walking through narrow pathways and everything else, very often, I mean, if I wouldn't fight it, it would freeze me right, in, right there in tracks. But I guess major lessons learned is you need to train your mind to be, to be strong. And I guess it depends on what your definition is of strong. But I think for me, it means not giving up and keeping going. Because again, once you're climbing mountains, like often you get in a space where you, you know it's just one step at a time. You're not really thinking about what's going to happen after 100 meters, how much far you have left to the summit and all the way down. But you're just putting one feet in front of the other. And I think sometimes process can be quite similar in product where you know you're kind of going through discovery and there's so many unknowns and like you're just walking in your path and you're going up and down and you're like, oh, it's a summit. Oh, no, actually, it's a fake summit. I still need to keep walking. So I think it's about that attitude that you, you just need to keep going and like persist and not give up. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a climber as as discussed, but I guess the closest I can think of with, with that is uh, running. So like I've done a couple of marathons in my time and yeah, you, you start off all excited and, and you, know, you know, running off and then after a couple of hours everything starts to kind of bite and then you have your, your ebbs and your flows and your, your peaks and your troughs and and yeah by the end you're very much just dragging yourself along and it's not 100% a feeling that I want to take into product management I guess because it's you know it's quite hard and there's also I'm still trying to work out the best marathon versus sprint joke as well given obviously scrum and stuff like that but it's uh, <laughs> it feels like the same thing like just making sure that you just have staying power I guess and and that you just keep going and, and, and kind of get over any kind of hurdles or, or good God, not that they put hurdles on a marathon, that'd be horrible. But yeah, just get, getting past any hurdles and, and any kind of dips on the way. Yeah, and it also kind of puts things into perspective, you know. When when you're sitting in front of your MacBook right now within your four walls and like one of your colleagues has pissed you off, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so it's kind of getting to me. But then you remember about that time you were, sta- you, were you know, like, having 30% less oxygen to breathe and like, <laughs> sick and not sleeping. And you're like, you know what? If I could do that, I can handle a conversation. So if anything, it just helps to put things at perspective and like put you at more, more at ease at like day-to-day situations that I think when you look at the bigger pictures, they don't really matter, you know? Yeah, sometimes you just got to get over yourself, right? Uh, certainly in a work perspective, at least, and just realize, you know, it's all okay yeah and if it's not if it's not okay there's ways around it so you also did some mentoring at girls day school trust i believe yes i did so 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 what is girls day school trust and and how did you get into that yeah so basically it's an association of girls schools in the uk they have a lot of students i think something around twenty thousand pupils around the uk and i saw that they were doing a techathon hackathon for their 13 to 15 year old girls and i thought wow that is that is quite cool like there's no way there was something like this when i was growing up um (laughs) and and at the same time you know there's a lot of talk about not enough females being in tech and how we need to start education much much sooner because 
realistically speaking, already when you're 13, 14, 15, you need to be informed about different choices. I mean, product management, who, who, who even in their school knows what product management is? I was in university. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Even beyond university, I just accidentally found it, like found about it on a job. So I'm all for changes and making sure that actually young people are informed early on when they grow up. So yeah, that's why I basically volunteered myself to be one of the mentors within their techathon. So was that a one and done or, or is that going to be more of a kind of ongoing relationship or, or something you could go back to? Yeah, so um, they were considering doing uh, another techathon for the older kids, but obviously Corona hit in, so we didn't get a chance to do that. But I mean, I really enjoyed the experience on the day and actually my, my team also won, not to brag or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that helps a bit, uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed the experience and also, you know, thinking about it and reflecting young people seem to be much more informed about their choices because when I asked the girls on my team, what they wanted to be when they grow up, one of them said, Oh, I want to be a designer. The other one said, I want to be a game developer. So I was like, wow, you guys even know these guys, like these roles. <laughs> so clearly it's working and it's great that schools are taking such proactive approach to actually you know, look at more technically heavy or more science heavy subjects, because the topic of the day was to look at smart cities and sustainable communities. So I mean, it's all for a great cause. No, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, something you said earlier about sort of the lack of diversity, and in this case, specifically sort of female representation in tech, and that's obviously something that anything that we can do to, to sort of push that along just a little bit, um, you know, hopefully all those little bits add up to a big bit. I, I still think it's a complete travesty that that it's that it's taking so long to kind of get everything onto a level so uh, no all credit for that one alongside that you've also organized some product tank events How, how's that been have you, have you managed to get a kind of good regular set of people going to those things or is that was again that sort of more of a one-off thing or is that kind of ongoing yeah so um i've been with the product tank team for i think a year and a half now and basically, when I joined uh, last year, there's there's team of uh, team of five of us uh, who organize the events in London. But then we have events happening all around the world in different cities. And then each each city kind of has one or more organizers who organize the events. In London, we do monthly events. So prior to Corona lockdown, we had them in in person. And then once a month, we would get up to sort of like 500 people showing up. So it was pretty pretty good. And then during coronavirus times, uh, we migrated events to online. So we streamed them live and then we've had probably between two to 400 people showing up. And then afterwards, it's all in our YouTube channel where people can just view any event afterwards. Oh, wow, sound, it sounds really good. So back to, the, back to the kind of mentoring concept. I mean, and maybe this is a discussion that you had to have when you were doing this mentoring is how would you describe product management to those, to those kids? Well, how did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think we specifically spoke about product management. I think... Okay, so how would you? How would I, yes. <laughs> uh, when they asked me what I do for, for a living, I would probably say that I speak to people to understand what their problems are or where they're, you know, struggling with different things in their day-to-day -day life. And then I, I work with other people to figure out how we can help them. Nice. Short and to the point. And would you, what advice would you give to one of those kids as they were coming up through, you know, coming up through school and, and making their way into the world? Like if they were trying to get into product management as a career or tech as a career, what advice would you give them based on your own experience? 
Oh, that's a tough one. That's, that's why I asked it last. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what advice would I give them? I would say as you're going through school, try different things and try to kind of like learn more in the areas that, that your interests lie. Also, as a product manager, you have to be quite good with people, communication. So I think often when, you know, after you graduate and employers are looking to hire you, they're looking, they're not looking for knowledge or experience. They're looking for the soft skills. So if anybody wants to get into product management specifically, I would say to focus on understanding what are the soft skills that are needed for the job, which is being quite good with people, being quite empathetic. I would say that's probably the core thing that you really need to work on. So just to make sure that you have those soft skills covered and you actually, I guess, have self-awareness and understand if you are lacking in some places, how can you become better and how can you develop those soft skills? So I think young kids is all soft skills experience because knowledge and, you know, like hard skills and everything else, it comes with time. And that's obviously really valid for for product management. I think that, as you say, communication is is really important and integral really to, to succeeding. But if you had to pick one hard skill that these kids had to learn, what, what, what would you advise? Hmm. I would say... Oh, I'm thinking, what do I have to do most like day to day? <laughs> Apart from refreshing Jira because it's uh, crashed again. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. I would say probably get used to reading, reading a lot, a lot of compl- complicated things. Specifically, I'm just referring to like a lot of T's and C's and legal agreements and like policies and stuff like that <laughs> that I've had to like read and go through like market research and everything else. So. I think reading and consuming knowledge, because again, that's going to help you to upskill in the rest of the things that you need to do if you read a lot and you learn a lot. So yeah, reading, (laughs) good reading skills. I always assumed that those terms and conditions that you see in, in, you know, kind of new software and stuff that they just stop typing words after the first page and that you just then they put some extra real words at the bottom and the middle bit's just all complete nonsense yeah so you'd think but like having written t's and c's i can tell you for a fact definitely not accurate <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess uh, i guess some people read them and uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, have a chat about product yeah you can find me on twitter my twitter handle is at alina sokolovska or you can just find me on LinkedIn as well, just by my name, Aline Sokolovska, or just look by Flux as well, pretty easy, or by Product Tank, either way. I'll uh, make sure we get all the relevant links into the uh, the show notes so that people can come and uh, and find out all about the exciting world of uh, technical uh, documentation and, and, and API product management. Well, it's been a really fantastic chat, and uh, obviously thanks for coming on, and um, hopefully we can, we can stay in touch and, and find out more, and maybe I'll even come to a Product Tank event at some point in the future. But for now, as I say, thanks very much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening as always. If you like this episode, we've got loads more covering a variety of topics that should be interesting to you as well, including technology, product management, product leadership, UX, diversity in tech, and and much more. Feel free to shoot over to the podcast app of your choice and take a look and see if there's anything that takes your fancy. I'd also love it if you subscribed, rated, reviewed, and all the other good social proof stuff that, that we all know and love. Thanks very much.